The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more. SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race strips to the Porta Johns. It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT22 for 10% off at their website. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a father of twin boys, and I'm a college professor. My name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I am a CPA and a mom to three girls. And my name is Eric Hall. I'm an endurance athlete and coach in Raleigh, North Carolina, the father of three teenagers, an engineer, and the husband to a beautiful wife, Melissa. 
Michelle, you noticeably left out there in your introduction that you're a podium finisher at the Mountain Madness 15K trailers yeah. from this past weekend. Yeah. <laughs> it was very small, but very fun race. So, so tell us about it. Um, it was a 15K up in North Georgia. And I just don't have much excitement or desire to run the roads and um, had no real expectations, but have sort of just gotten kind of back into, I don't know, 35, 40 miles a week. And I wanted to just kind of run hard, but also um, I think I realized like it was maybe like a hundred minutes and that's just, I'm really, I, the shorter distance felt so good. <laughs> it was like, no matter, even when I got to the one mile mark in my mind, all I had was eight miles left, which was, I don't know. It just, it felt awesome. I was like, maybe this is just my piece of cake for now. Um, so it was pretty good. It was, uh, we went right before the finish and basically right at the start into some kind of knee deep freezing cold water. So uh, <laughs> the one thing about, you know, trail and ultra running that I can't really, um, grasp as well as I need to be able to is wet socks. Mm. Uh, but there was no uh, going back here. So it was really cold. My feet were really cold, probably until about mile five. I don't know how to explain <laughs> the trail. I mean, you guys saw the elevation map. It didn't feel like it was runnable. It was mm -hmm. 1800 feet gain over, you know, um, so it was a lot of hiking. But Eight, I, is 1800 feet over the course of 15k over the course of nine miles? Yeah, that's right. I remember looking at all these people who ran 20 and 22 miles and had 2000 feet of gain and they were oh, posting yeah. about their long runs over the weekend. And I'm like, I did that in nine miles. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I consider, yeah. and I've said this many times before, I consider a hilly run to be 100 feet of gain per mile. I consider that to be a hilly run. Um, <laughs> oh, I thought you, I thought you were going to say 100 feet of gain. And that so, just allow no 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 yeah definitely not South Carolina to say, <laughs> no per yeah, mile like, per mile so like a seven hundred a seven hundred foot gain over the course of seven miles I consider that a hilly run not a mountainous run necessarily but I, I would consider that to be a very hilly run uh, and so you were literally doing twice that um, yeah it was pretty much and it was a loop course because you had to go back down all that stuff too man <laughs> that's right there was no there was nothing really flat um, but I had a really good time I think. Um, my shoe came untied, which was a little bit disappointing. So I had to take off my gloves to tie my shoe. And when I did that, a few women passed me, but I had uh, sort of, when I came through about six and a half miles, the aid station told me that there was only one woman ahead of me. And I had no concept of that at all. And I was like, well, I want to stay in second place. <laughs> so um, yeah, it was pretty fun. I think I was about 15 seconds ahead at then. And then I waited for the results to be posted to see how much I beat her by. And it was more, so it was just fun. I mean, I kind of shifted into, I'm going to race the last two and a half miles and cool. it was cool to just not get past. And in the last two and a half miles, there were some guys, man, they were hurting so bad, but there was a whole group of people that just tore off at the beginning and tried to run some of these first climbs. And they all came back by nine miles. Um, but it was fun. It was fun to finish. And you know, feel like I had put in a good effort, could have gone more, but I was thinking, you know, maybe I'm just in for this really short or middle distance stuff. I don't know what you consider a nine mile race, but it definitely I mean, felt awesome to not even have to go to 10 miles. So 
I mean, among other things we're going to be talking about today is reflecting on the interview we did with Shane Strike last week. And that dude runs less than two minute long races. And yeah. so you're talking about like, oh, these little short races of 100 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was good. I was happy to try out a new pair of trail shoes uh, that I really liked. Speaking and of which, tell us what shoes those were. I... I think we're all wearing the same shoes on the trail right now, aren't we? I was going to say, uh, yeah, this, so this is this is the first time that the three of us have actually all gotten together on a pair of shoes. Yeah, we really do agree on this. Uh, it's the Adidas, um, what, the Ultra? Tarek Speed, Speed Ultra. Tarek Ultra. No. No. Speed Ultra. Tarek's or no, Tarek's Ultra Speed. No, I think yeah. Speed comes first, no? No, Tarek's comes before Speed, then Ultra. <laughs> okay. No, wait, no. Terex Ultra Speed. I know Terex is first. It's the Adidas. <laughs> well, that's fair. Terex it is an Adidas Terex. Ultra. All right. That's Eric said Adidas, Adidas Terex Speed, Speed Ultra. Ultra. We're going to go with that. Okay. Um, so ATSU. Yes. There you go. The ATSU. Like some state university or something. You can just mm -hmm. remember that by the acronym. That's right. Um. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed running in them. I had never worn them before. So, uh, you know, try something new on race day. It might work out good for you. Mm -hmm. Very good. Out. Very good. But it, I thought it was funny that you said that that they got untied um, because that's my one yeah, complaint about those shoes. Yeah. Did, that's my one complaint about untied? those shoes is they just don't tie well. Yeah. My in in the race that you are now not naming, the na the, the race that we're going to now refer to <laughs> as the skull race between now and next January. The race uh, which when, shall not be named. <laughs> so exactly. When I ran the race that shall not be named 2022. Um, one of my shoes came untied twice and the other one came untied once um, such that and my hands were so cold because it was so freezing outside that I just yeah. tied I tied it in a knot and stuffed the laces into the shoe. Um, I was so was, shocked was when annoying. I realized I was running on my laces. Mm -hmm. it, it was just such a bad feeling because I had all I was around all these people and I had to just step Stop. over and I was carrying a handheld and I ripped off my gloves and then I didn't put my gloves back on and but yeah, it was, I don't know. I think, you know, I just had a really good time there. Um, mm -hmm. Felt good to be on the trails and it's been a really long time since I've done anything, you know, of consequence where I felt really good running hard. So it was good. Awesome. awesome. So. Very good. Did you get some, uh, did you get a trophy? No, I just left. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe they'll mail it to you. You had your, you had your wet socks. You had your untied shoes. You wanted to get in the car and head out. That's and I fair. was freezing. So, yeah. That's so. fair. That's fair. So Very good. I, I want to point something out because people don't get the visual when they listen to the podcast. But, Michelle, you look like, um, as you were describing this, the smile on your face is so big. And you can actually hear it through your voice. But you look like that little girl that was just given a dress. And she's kind of like showing like she's twisting back and forth with a big smile on her face ah, and it's just great to see you that excited about a run I, yeah I, I just, kinda I'm, just, I'm really really happy for you it was fun so awesome very good eric how you doing man i'm i'm doing all right you know it's uh i just i, I relayed to you uh right before the podcast how i've decided i can i can put together training plans and i can help runners get better you know coach them but i have a really a uh, big issue right now, at least, uh, executing my own training plan. Mm -hmm. uh, it's become kind of random. I, I think injuries and just not feeling like anything is routine right now has really made things difficult. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to work through that, probably figure it out at some point. Uh, I may actually say, fine, I just need somebody else to coach me at some point. Um, probably I, That's probably what's going to have to happen in order for this mm -hmm. to be productive. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's that's where I'm at. More importantly, though, I, you, you kind of threw me off my game because you asked about me. I did want to give a huge shout out to uh, my runner, Carrington. Uh, she finished third in the BBR, not to be confused with the BRR. This is the <laughs> Blackbeard Revenge 100K. Cool. It's her first attempt at the distance. Um, she executed the plan that we came we came up with almost uh, to the T, and she came home with a third place finish. So awesome. I was super impressed. Um, I I had I had told her you know anytime during the race you know shoot me a message this that or the other and. I didn't hear anything from her and that's that was actually really hard yeah <laughs> you know it's oh it's, oh we know imagine <laughs> imagine how hard it is when the other person following the race is michelle <laughs> well, and 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 yeah. you're not texting either one of us updates and so she starts texting me asking me what i know can you imagine right. how difficult that would be yeah i can't and you have to understand though she was in constant uh wireless like area oh. i was in the mountains and but hey all of that aside she did her training was spot on she yeah. killed it in the race i'm just so yeah. proud of her awesome. for awesome. that finish very good um yeah very good so that, that's that's kind of what's going on well done carrington well done well done um and eric man i mean I am I'm, I'm supportive of people getting coaches. Um, you know, Michelle made a joke last week when we were talking to Shane about, um, about how nobody can coach George. I would love to have a coach. Um, and, and if I did in fact have a coach, I would probably be more disciplined in my race choices and that sort of thing. I would probably be less <laughs> spastic than I have been at least over the course of the past two years, for sure. Um, my problem you'd, you'd is buy less that, shoes because you'd have less money. Yeah. Well, may, probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, coaches cost about as much as a pair of BVA nitros. I mean, you know, um, but, uh, but per month, um, but the, uh, for me, the problem is that the, coaches don't see cycling the way that I do. Um, like only, only um, running coaches see cycling as like a distraction or as something to do on a recovery day. And, and multi-sport coaches can appreciate the crossover benefits of doing hard cycling, but multi-sport coaches don't wanna coach a guy like me who, who focuses solely on running races. Um, so I, I just can't find somebody that kind of fills that niche. Um, I'm sure I could if I really, really, really dedicated myself no, to it. No, there's got to be some awesome triathlon coach out there, George, who understands the value of replacing X mileage on your feet with time on the bike. Oh, I, I mean, there's lots. And, 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 I've, and I've worked with some great triathlon coaches before, for sure. It's just that most of the triathlon coaches, when you talk to them, they don't want to coach you to do road marathons. They want to coach you to do triathlons. Um, they want your target event to be a triathlon. Um, so, yeah, I mean, anyway, um, not much of a coach dictating what you should do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I see your point. I see your point. And actually, I was thinking the other day, that's one way in which myself as a coach, I've changed a lot over the course of the past several years in terms of you know determining what races are the focus. It used to be that I wouldn't take on a client if if they if I thought that their race calendar was unrealistic. Um, and now I, I coach a variety of people that come to me with all sorts of different things that they want to do um, and let them set their own goals. And it's my job to try and help them figure out how to get there, you know? Um, but anyway, 
I was uh, thinking this week too, I gave you all my thumb update a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I'm not going to give you another thumb update, except to say that it's pretty much back to normal, which I'm happy about. Um, I, I think it's, or at least it's, it's back to as normal as it's probably ever going to be. I can use it. I can tell that this doesn't quite feel right, but I can use it for everything that I that I named that I was unable to use it for for a little while a couple of weeks ago. So I know that you're. And, and this doesn't constitute that. a thumb update. That is not. No, that's just that's just a quick check in. Um, okay. But I did want to give a more thorough update, perhaps, on the intermittent fasting uh, experiment that. That I mentioned on the podcast probably like six weeks ago, I want to say, and and Michelle lost her mind at the the idea that I was actually doing intermittent fasting and kind of experimenting with it for a little while. Um, I had somebody write me an email this week and say, "Hey, what's going on with your intermittent fasting? How's it going? What have you learned from it? Are you still doing it?" And I wrote back and said, "No, I'm not still doing it. I've knocked it off a few weeks ago. The truth is, I actually knocked it off pretty soon after Michelle gave me a hard time about it." <laughs> Um, and, and it's in part because, you know, my wife wasn't really all that into it. Michelle wasn't really all that into it. I myself wasn't really all that into it. And I was like, well, I'm really doing this when I don't enjoy it. And when I'm not really convinced that it really works all that well. Um, I did take a couple things away from it. One, um, I was reminded of a time when I was eating at the dining hall in college um, at my college, not in college, at my college, like a few years ago. Um, and I had like this big salad and one of my colleagues looked at it and said, that's what you like. Um, because you know, in a dining hall, you have like all the cereal and all the sandwiches and all the pizza and all the pies, like all these different options. And I was like going to the salad bar. She's like, that's what you want to eat. You have all these choices. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I like this, but I also like eating this, if that makes sense. Right. I like the taste of it, but I also, it, 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 I feel like it's the right thing for me to eat. Um, to the degree that intermittent fasting might've been an okay thing for me to do. I thoroughly disliked it. Um, and my dislike for the process of it was not nearly enough to outweigh any potential benefits that I might've been getting from it. Um, and so, so that, that was like one of my big takeaways from the whole thing is that you have to really strike that balance between a diet that you, you, you like, or at least you find tolerable, um, and one that, that, that you, that, that accomplishes the goal you want to accomplish. This one for me, wasn't tolerable. Um, getting up in the morning at like five 30 in the morning, then doing an hour and a half bike workout, and then literally not being able to take in any calories to eat anything until noon. It was horrible. I hated so it. George, I know we've both in the past worked with Alana Katz and nutrition. Yeah, I like Alana a lot. She has a very regimented, you know, mm -hmm. every two and a half to three hours. Yeah. So get your uh, metabolism kind of right. cranking. Right. Did yeah. you feel like this was, um, I mean, I know it's not at all the same as that, but did you feel the similar type of restriction with this is in like, mm -hmm. if you're, if you're on, like, I just remember on Alana's program, if it, if I was hungry and I wasn't at the three to four hour mark, I felt like it, I wasn't supposed to be hungry. So yeah. Speak, yeah. Right. Was yeah. No. Okay. So, so two things about that one Alana's program, when I've worked with her before, it really worked well for me when I was a high school teacher. Because when you're a high school teacher, your days are so heavily routinized yeah. that I could say, okay, between first period and second period, I'm going to eat this during third right. period and fourth period. And so that really worked out well for me when I was doing that. When I became a college professor and I had so much more flexible time, that approach didn't work for me as well. I needed a more flexible approach. Yeah. Um, and and so, so, yeah, I, I get the the routine Regiment. nature of that yeah so the the 
I, yeah, I, I found myself a lot like clock watching in the, in the late morning. Yeah. Um, and really want- like heavily focused on, okay, what am I going to eat at noon? Okay. Right. It's 90 minutes away from when I can eat. And like, I was yeah. way too focused on that. And one of the supposed benefits of intermittent fasting is supposed to be that it helps your mental focus and that you're able to get tasks done a little bit more. And I was the <laughs> opposite. Like my mental focus was entirely on what I was going to be eating or drinking for that matter. Right. Cause you're not able to drink anything that has calories in it either. And so like, I would have to get my morning caffeine for my tea and couldn't put any uh, like milk in it. Yeah. It was kind of miserable. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't really like it that much. The other thing is that I totally fell into the trap that they always say. And it's the same trap I fell into initially when I did the vegan experiment last year. And that's thinking, oh, well, I only have eight hours to eat. So I'm going to eat as much as I possibly can. I'm going to eat whatever garbage I want to over the course of that eight hour window. Right. Not good. Yeah. And that totally defeats the purpose. I mean, if, if you, if you read it, basically what you're supposed to do, it's not only about the fasting, but it's also supposed to cook, cut your calorie intake because you're skipping a meal. So you're supposed to eat the same amount that you normally would eat, even if you're not fasting, which I just could not do that. Um, that was just something that was not working for me at all. If I could be so disciplined during the 16 hours a day when I wasn't eating, including doing like some hard workouts there along the way, by the time I got into those eight hours where I could eat, I was physiologically and mentally ready to consume everything that I could. Yeah. I think I've just found it in order to avoid slipping into disordered eating patterns, there's gotta be more of like an intuitive approach Mm -hmm. and not you know, a, a clock based or a fasting mm-hmm. during this time base. It's mm-hmm. just a combination of, I guess, healthy food choices. And, uh, also just when your body's hungry. Uh, yeah. I, I also, I also very much think, so I also very much think that, that the diet and, and I, I say diet, I've kind of put that in quotation marks, the eating plan, whatever you want to call it, that works for you best to, if, if you actually want to be healthier and change your body con- composition is the one that most directly addresses whatever your biggest issue is. And so I do think it was good in some ways that this kept me from like snacking late at night, but that's not a big problem for me, but, but it kept, I mean, I would pretty much finish dinner and I'd be done eating for the day. And that's probably a good thing, I think. Um, uh, and so, so to stop me from snacking, that was probably a good thing. But then to wake up the following morning and still have like literally six or seven hours before I ate again, that was not great. That was not a whole lot of fun. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it almost like fun. creating an eating disorder to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, well and the, the other thing I had read before going into it is that if you ever, if you ever have had any eating disorders, like this is not the thing for you to yeah, do because it can really trigger you, those. You, you and that was one thing that, that my wife had said. And she was, she was like, this is like prescribing disordered eating. Um, yeah. that was one reason why she wasn't super supportive of it. And one of my takeaways from it was that, yeah, if you have potential eating disorder stuff, this will totally trigger it. Totally. Yeah. Um, and fortunately I don't among the other disorders that I have eating disorders have never quite been one of them. Um, but, but this, this could very easily flip you into a, a, a real, dark place if, if you have a history of eating disorders, I think. Yeah. So along those lines, what about your inter- interesting breakfast choices? How's that going? Yeah. Interesting <laughs> breakfast choices is going well. 
Um, and so I haven't quite gotten super creative with it, like in terms of just like eating vegetables for breakfast. Broccoli. I'm, I'm still broccoli yet to have breakfast. like, you know, yeah, like a broccoli forward breakfast. Russell spouts. Um, so yeah, I, I still haven't quite gotten there yet. Um, <laughs> but I have indeed been eating fewer processed foods at breakfast time. And I think that's probably good. Um, apples and yogurt tend to be my non-processed go-to uh, at breakfast time. Um, and, and I enjoy that. I'll probably have that a lot over the course of the next month or so as I'm, uh, finishing up my preparations for the Sugarloaf Marathon on May 15th. Yeah. So little, little funny aside on that. I made, uh, pancakes for the family the other day and I did not do a very good job. Many of them were a little burnt. <laughs> so usually when we're done, there's a few left and they disappear within a day. And these things just sat in the fridge. So I said, nobody wanted to eat your burned pancakes. I don't understand. Nobody wanted to eat. So I said, I am going to take these. I'm going to punish myself by taking these to breakfast every day. So, and my thing right now is I'm trying to eat a real breakfast. Mm -hmm. So I'm not eating my lunch at like 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. That, that's 10 tends to be what I do. So so I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take these things to breakfast. So I'd make a bowl before I went to work. I'd put some syrup in it and I'd take it to work. And then to make sure the syrup is like evenly mixed up and all of it, I would kind of chop them up into quarters mm -hmm. with, a, with a fork. Mm -hmm. And so I've got this like pile of kind of burnt pancakes and they're not really big pancakes. They're, they're kind of small ones. And my boss walks by my office and he looks in and he goes, are you eating mushrooms for breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> And, and if that wasn't bad enough, this other lady in the office looked you in. You said, goes, no, but my friend George, yeah. might, I should recommend that to him. But this other lady in the office looked in and she said, yeah, I wanted to ask the same question, but you know, you're kind of on this health kick. So I figured that might be like normal. It's like, like, it's like, it's like the, the new, the new fungus for breakfast diet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, not quite, not quite. Um, all right. Um, let's talk a little bit about things that we might have missed. Now, tonight we are going to be spending time talking about Chain Strike. Um, and then Eric and I are going to share the experience we had at the Peyton's Wild and Wacky 10 by 5K. We talked about it so much leading up to it. We certainly got to talk about it a little bit here as well. Um, but we do like to debrief a little bit after we've had interviews with people. Um, and this is also a good time while we're kind of talking about these housekeeping things to mention that next week is when Danielle is coming on to talk about her book, right? Um, and so I'm super excited about that for one. Um, I imagine that you both are as well. Um, but I think it's gonna be super cool when she comes on here. But um, if you haven't finished reading the book, um, if you haven't gotten the book, Let's Get Physical by Danielle Friedman, How Women Discovered Exercise and Reshape the World. Uh, super interesting book. Not really light reading. I'm not done with it yet. Have y'all finished it? No. I have, I have 30 minutes left on Audible. I'm like, mm purposely avoiding finishing it, mm -hmm. but I'm actually thinking about just restarting it and listening to it again, just before next week. Man, um, you can knock out that whole book in a week. I'm impressed. So it's a, yeah, yeah, it's not a, it's a lot of information. Yeah, it is. I feel like if I can, if I'm going to need to speak specifically on the book, I need to go back and re-listen to some parts, but if I kind of just do what I usually do and take a big overview and I don't know, we'll see. I, mean, I really enjoy, to... I like, because it's her reading the book. Yeah, that's fun. I, I just, I really, I don't know. I enjoy listening to, I think, yeah, I just like it. So 
when, when, when I used to coach a Tuesday morning track workout, people who would hear the podcast would a lot of times come to the Tuesday morning track workout. And I'd be like announcing the workout in the mornings and they'd be like, Oh, I recognize that <laughs> voice, you know? And yeah. I kind of feel like I'm going to have a similar situation when, uh, when she comes on the podcast <laughs> next week, I'm be like, Oh, I know that voice. You know, <laughs> I've heard I've that voice read to me before. Back in the day when I would drive, uh, to and from, let's say Brevard, I would stop at the Cracker Barrel on 85 and I would rent, you would get like a book on tape mm -hmm. or a yeah. CD on tape and then you return it to another Cracker Barrel right. or you just keep it in. Anyway, and it was, it felt like it was a long time before I ever actually heard the own author uh, wow. read the book. It was always, you know, various voiceovers. And now I've basically taken a liking to, I, I actually only want to listen to the book if it's the, same the author's own voice. I agree. Um, so yeah, I feel the same way. That, so. Rise of the Ultra Runners by Addie Finn was not him, um, but yeah, was, the unofficial book of running by Peter Sagal was great, and that was read, read by him. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, several books I've read over the course of or listened to over the course of the past year have been read by the authors, and I think it makes it so much better. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Very cool. Let's talk about stuff that people might have missed. Michelle, why don't you go first? Well, I think, you know, most relevant to maybe Atlanta is um, USATF opened the bid for hosting the 2024 marathon trials. And I think we all remember that amazing weekend, uh, whether you remember it is an amazing weekend because of the marathon trials or the last social thing you did before the pandemic hit. Or both. Um, <laughs> on, you know, leap day in March 1st, 2020. But I think it's really interesting because, you know, Rich Kana was very clear that uh, Atlanta would not be rebidding and USATF needed to change the structure of how they do it and put some stake in the game. And here we are, you know, coming up on Paris 2024. There's been tons of feedback and USATF did absolutely nothing. And, you know, the event itself is, let's say, a projected $20 million economic impact uh, for the host city. But at the same time, you know, the host track club basically has to pay $100,000 for the rights, $600,000 of prize money, then you've got to pay for flights, hotels, meals of a few hundred athletes. And then of course, actually the cost of shutting down your city and putting on the race. So I think it'll be really interesting to see who bids for this. Um, it can't go to Boston. And I've heard a few rumors about Minneapolis, which is interesting. Why can it not go to Boston? Well, it can't go to Boston on the Boston course because of the downhill. But mm. the year that, uh, when was the last time the marathon trials were in Boston? Didn't the women run in Boston and the men ran in New York? It was two separate trials. Okay. Back in like 2004 or something. 2000, well, when did Ryan? No, it was 2004. And, 2004. and, and yeah, yeah you know and Ryan Shea died in the middle of the when race. Ryan, I, yeah. It just comes right. I just, I never, I, I cannot not. Uh, think about that. I know. So yeah, it should be interesting. Um, I also think it can't be run. Well, maybe it could be run on a point to point course, but I, I don't think they'd ever put the marathon trials on a point to point course. I mean, if you want crowd support, right. But um, it's interesting because I think about when Houston hosted the trials and I guess the reason why it wasn't such a drain at the time was because there were so few women who could qualify mm -hmm. but by the time we got to 2020 trials you know you had 400 plus women and atlanta track club had offered to you know pay in for even the the b qualifiers so mm -hmm. with the lower standards i still think we're going to see a few hundred qualifiers on each side and it'll just be interesting to see which city goes for this 
and also I want to go. So I hope mm-hmm. it's a good city. <laughs> yeah. You hope it's someplace close by. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't care if it's close. I just hope it's cool. <laughs> true, true. Okay, yeah, good point. Make a point. Maybe it would be better if it's not close by. So. Yes, right. There you go. Uh, a place where they might be able to have a good flat marathon would be Modesto, California. What the heck? What is in, What is that? Modesto, California is where CJ Albertson went out and ran a marathon oh, yeah. on his own over the weekend. Um, what a good segue, George. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I thought that was a pretty champion segue myself. So CJ Albertson. That was spot on. So thank you. Thank you. I, I'm a fan of CJ Albertson. I should probably leave with that. I like him. I, I appreciated the way that he ran the Boston Marathon and led the first 20 plus miles uh, last year um, and still hung on to finish 10th, I want to say, finish in the top 10. Um, I was super impressed with him and, and I think he's a good guy the problem i have with cj albertson is that that he tends to kind of train the way that sarah hall does and that he goes out and just runs marathon distance runs at marathon pace um he like trains for marathons by running marathons um and it's like not even in uh, an actual organized race just kind of out on 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 runs and so with that in mind this past sunday on march 27th um he posted on strava he named the actual uh activity lead bike took me on a 400 meter plus detour to make sure i didn't pr and practice and get trashed on the message boards <laughs> um which i think is pretty funny and then the the subtitle was thanks for looking out they're still going to shred me though 22 days to boston unofficial 26.2 split 210 28 it's about a minute fashion this pr that's just um and he goes out three weeks and a day from the Boston Marathon and runs a PR marathon effectively um, in practice with a lead bike in front of him um, as a preparation for, for the Boston Marathon. That basically tells me that he is planning on going for it in Boston. For, yeah, I agree yeah. with you, except that <laughs> if you are going to be going for it in Boston, why would you do this three weeks out? Why would, you, why, would you leave your, why would you leave your main marathon on the roads of Modesto? Why not actually cash in that fitness when you're in Boston in the race itself? This is just how he does it. I mean, yeah. we, we talk about this all the time. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it either. The only thing that I can possibly imagine is that if somehow along the way he has found that if he does two hard marathons within about three weeks of each other, the second one tends to be better. If he has somehow figured that out along the way through trial and error, then then and he wasn't able to run an actual race here three weeks out, so he did a time trial instead. Okay, I get it. But but to think this is like the best way to prepare, I, it, it just seems odd to me to think that that the best way to prepare to run a fast marathon is by running another fast marathon. This is a total hero or zero moment. <laughs> <laughs> Either, either there's going to be this this huge influx of people signing up for marathons, one you know three weeks apart, or everyone's going to go, you idiot. Yeah. yeah. No, and I don't know. I mean, so I I ran last year. I ran two marathons two weeks apart, as you all as you both know. Yep. And and Which I one wasn't did you do better in. And I actually did better in the second one. Um, the second one was flatter, to be fair, um, and. But but I but I I wasn't wiped out for the second one the way that I thought that I would be and so I don't maybe there's something to it I don't know but but it, this just doesn't feel wise but I, I like what you said Eric this he he could be totally right and if he is <laughs> yeah if he goes out and wins Boston in three weeks then yeah 
then 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 we were all wrong and and you can quit listening to the podcast yeah. <laughs> um but anyway we'll see we'll see all right what else is going on did you see the uh, the change that that's going on on Zwift here over the course of the next little while, Eric? Well, well actually, first before I ask you that, Eric, are you racing in season three of the 2021-2022 Zwift Racing League that starts this coming Tuesday? So I am racing, um, depending on how many people sign up, because we have more riders than we do spots for each mm-hmm. uh, race. I don't know if I'll be racing in that event for our team, but I am mm-hmm. I am still part of CC Racing. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited because I am going to be racing this season. Um, I had a ton of fun last season. You know, basically Tuesday night, Tuesday was all about preparing for, and Tuesday night was all about racing on Zwift. Right. And uh, I really enjoyed that. We have a really, really good group of guys that do this. And I think the team definitely matters, mm-hmm. the, the people on the team. I, I did one time trial with a group, another group of people, and it was just wasn't the same. I'll just put it that way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yes. The answer to your question is yes, George. And I'm okay. excited about it. Very good. Very good. My team has the opposite problem, um, that, that we don't have enough people to fuel the team generally. Um, and so so the team time trials, which are the, the most enjoyable events, and I put enjoyable in, in air quotes there because yeah. Zwift racing is not always enjoyable. Um, but, uh, we probably won't have enough people to actually field for those events. Um, but if I want to, uh, enter a race and just bash myself up over the course of 45 minutes to an hour on Tuesday nights over the course of the next few weeks, I I can do that. Um, I don't know whether I will or not. It kind of depends, you know, running is more important to me right now, since I do have this marathon, as I already said earlier in this podcast, I don't want to belabor it, but, um, um, that's kind of the focus right now. So we'll see, we'll see. But did you see the change they're making to the Zwift interface? I did. Um, and I think it's interesting. I think it's cool. I think it's appropriate. I think it, it widens the audience and what you are talking about is (laughs) they're putting hand cycles. Yeah. Yeah. They're putting hand cycles in there, which I think is cool. Um, and so obviously on Zwift, you know, everybody has their own avatar and that avatar is riding bicycles, but, um, and then unless you're running on Zwift, in which case, of course, your avatar is running on Zwift. Um, but there's been times on like April 1st, which now that I think about it, this is coming Friday. So we'll have to see whether they do that, that they've actually changed everybody's avatar and put them on big wheels and stuff like that. (laughs) Um, and so they have the capability of, of changing up avatars and you being able to choose and, uh, different avatars. And so so they're going to start there soon. They didn't give us timetable uh, going to put out an avatar uh, that you'll be riding on a hand cycle, which I think is pretty cool. Um, evidently, there's a really large group of hand cyclists that, that, that ride on Zwift um, for the same reason the rest of us do, because they can do uh, a ride. It's more convenient. It's safer um, and all those sorts of things. Um, and when they go on Zwift, even though they're riding a hand cycle on their trainer, what they see on screen is somebody riding a bicycle. Um, and that's not going to be true anymore, which I think is pretty cool. Did I didn't read too much about this. Are they going to be mixed in with the other cyclists or is it yeah. going to be its own environment? Um, it's going to, they're going to be mixed in with the other cyclists. Um, okay. So you're going to be able to ride all the same routes that, that, that cyclists ride, but you're going to be riding them on a hand cycle. Well, they're, yeah, they're still cyclists. They're just mm-hmm. pedaling yeah. with their hands. Right. So. Right. So, so yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, Zwift actually has an inclusion board 
Um, they have a part of their team that's dedicated to, to trying to incre increase inclusion. And they have a lot of events that are around like raising money and spreading awareness for uh, the rights of various groups, um, which I appreciate. And one thing I very much like about Zwift, they are, after all, the title sponsor of uh, the Tour de France for Women, which is going to be uh, an event this summer that, that's pretty exciting, too. Um, and so uh, this kind of falls in line with that. So kudos to Zwift um, for, for, for doing that. Now, while we're giving kudos to Zwift, I'm going to go ahead and complain <laughs> about Zwift. All right. Is that, you know, I'm in all the technology and that's one of the ways they drug me into this, other than the fact that all you guys ride and I enjoy spending time with you and all that. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. But they kind of <laughs> drug me into this with all the technology. And then, you know, I I, I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, but I, I got really deep into the bike technology yeah. and which bike to have and when and all that. Mm -hmm. And then in this, the tour of Watopia that they just did, they made a big deal about this one stage that was off-road and it's going to have this new gravel surface. Mm -hmm. The one thing that they, well, so I made sure I had the right bike and the right wheels to be as fast as possible during that. And you spent a lot of time researching that. Yeah. And the one detail that they left out before <laughs> I signed up for that race that I noticed about five miles into the race, because I never look at my avatar, was they put everybody on the same bike. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've never been so frustrated at the, the that. It's something that doesn't exist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't even own this bike or these wheels, but I put all this time and right before the race, I was actually, I think I showed up in the pen like five seconds before the start or something. It might even, I might even have been late and they let me start anyway mm -hmm. to make sure I was on the right bike. Mm -hmm. And I looked down, I'm like, that's a teal bike. Like what, what, I don't have, what bike Wait, is that? And all those other guys are on teal bikes too. Everybody else has got the same bike. <laughs> <laughs> All this That's to say, they have great. a lot of control over the environment, and mm -hmm. uh, sometimes you appreciate it, sometimes you don't. I think the hand cycles thing is a good thing. I do too. I do too. Now, recumbents, that might be a different story. I'm not so sure about recumbents, but hand cycles. Too. I, I I think recumbents will probably come around too. And, oh, and so so, and I'll say this about recumbents. And so, when I first became a cyclist, I was I was judgy and snarky about recumbent bikes. Um, and then I started talking one time at a charity century ride to a guy who rode a recumbent bike. And he was saying that the reason why he rode a recumbent was because his back was messed up. Oh, yeah. um, and he had been a cyclist for years and years and years and rode, you know, upright bikes. Um, and then the only way he could continue to ride a bike is if he started actually riding a recumbent bike. And totally that completely it. changed my view towards recumbent bikes. Yeah. Like I always thought that that people were you know opting for recumbent bikes and blah 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 and, and I don't know why that would mean that I they deserved my snark <laughs> but um, but but when when he said that this is the this is the lifeline for me this is how I can continue cycling um, that that completely changed the way I see it so all right um, all right. Um, last thing we'll say just real quickly here, um, is the Iditarod trail race was this past weekend, um, or a couple weekends ago. Um, do y'all follow that at all? No. I wish I knew more about it. It's, I always follow yeah. it after the fact. Right? No, like I, I go I, in I, I and I see all the stuff and, um, <laughs> but I never actually follow it while it's happening. I feel the same way. Yeah. Unless I'm watching like some movie or something. <laughs> we, we went to Alaska, um, a few years ago. Uh, pre-pandemic um, and we went to a sled dog camp 
basically, um, where all the, the sled dogs would live and train during the summer ahead of the Iditarod race in March. Um, and we bought these little like kids books and all that sort of thing. It was super cool. Um, and so, but yeah, I feel the same way. I'm always fascinated by it and I find it super interesting, but I always end up seeing the headline when it's over. Um, but anyway, uh, a guy who was from originally from Minnesota, then moved to Alaska named Brent Sass ended up winning. Um, it was his first time he ever won the Iditarod, uh, sled race. Um, he's won several other races. Um, but, and he's finished Iditarod six times, um, or five say, times prior he, to this one. Um, didn't he have like, didn't he have a progression of like 20th, 15th, third? Exactly. Like yeah, 21? no, it was his first one was in 2012 and he was 13th, 22nd, 20th, fourth, third, and now okay. first. Yeah. I like that. That's yeah. cool. No, I think it's super cool. Um, started in Anchorage. It finished in Nome, 975 miles. Um, when he finished, he crossed the finish line with uh, 11 dogs in harness. Um, and I thought it was funny. The press release about it referred to the dogs that he crossed the finish line with as his teammates. Yeah, and his teammates. Were, yeah, his name, their names were Slater, Pink, Garnet, Marble, Morello, Lucy, Woody, Tock, Capone, Pop, Arlo, Kutuk, Jackson and Draco. <laughs> so congratulations to uh mr sass there congratulations to brent sass and of course uh his team of 11 there that won the iditarod sled trail race hey maybe next year do you want to like commit to one another right now that after we finish the skull race the race that cannot be named <laughs> that we we will then focus on the iditarod sled dog race no we can like hold each other accountable no <laughs> all right that'll just be a george and michelle thing all right as we said tonight we're going to focus a little bit on talking about our 10 by 5k and talk a little bit about shane strike let's start off first by talking about shane strike um what were some of your big takeaways from listening to that interview when you went back over it michelle gosh he is so young and so grounded in what his running <laughs> goals are i'm i'm a little bit jealous i mean i didn't even know what i wanted to do with my life at, at that age so you know, I hadn't even picked a career or gotten a degree after college to get into a career. Um, so I just, I love his focus and, you know, he's had an incredible amount of success in a really short period of time. And it seems like you have a lot of people in this sport who can take that type of path. And if you kind of get too hot headed with it, then you can kind of fizzle out just as quickly, but it feels like he's made some really good decisions with, you know, coming to Atlanta Track Club Elite and he's confident with his coaches. And I just think he's on a great upward trajectory. And yeah. I'm excited that, you know, we have, I mean, we really have some of the top middle distance runners in the country right here uh, in town with us now. So I'm excited to watch, to watch him run this summer. And, you know, it'd be awesome if he could snag a spot for Worlds. I agree. Um, yeah, I think that would be super cool. He was a nice guy. He was easy to interview. Um, yeah. yeah I, mean, I love that he had long answers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we, we were joking with him after we, we stopped recording that like the dream interview is for us to ask a question and then him just talk because you know yep. people don't tune in to <laughs> interviews to hear the interviewer talk. They, they tune in to hear the interviewee talk. Uh, and he was super easy with that, which I appreciated. Uh, I think that's the first time somebody has talked more on the podcast than George. Yeah, I, I really do. I think it's the first time we've I have ever listened to a podcast and there was more of somebody else's voice than George. 
Yeah. Half the time, I wasn't even yeah. sure what podcast I was listening to. <laughs> I, I didn't hear George for like three minutes. <laughs> as soon as you said, this is the first time, I was like, oh, I know where this is going. I had to drag it out so I could watch you smile. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, but no, he was great. He was fun. I mean, and, and to your point, Michelle, um, I feel like it's it's a good lesson in patience. Um, yeah. Because, um, because he's, you work, 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 work. And then sometimes the, the change or the improvement is really incremental. And then you'll, you'll, you'll then suddenly improve very quickly. Um, and I think we saw this a little bit with Sadie as well too, right? Is that, yeah. that, you know, you put in the work and you stay fit and you get stronger, but the races just don't quite come through for you. And right. then the stars kind of align, the rest of your life gets together and suddenly your time's all dropped. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and, I, and I think that staying patient and staying process oriented and, and committing to your routine, um, I think that can be really hard when you're not actually getting the, the, the results. Um, but then if you do that, suddenly you'll have this sort of rush, this gold rush of results. Um, and I think that's kind of what we've seen with him over the course of the past year, right? I mean, he never qualified for NCAAs as an individual. Then he qualifies and goes to the final and then finishes sixth, right? Then he doesn't quite qualify for the final and then the trials. Then he goes out a week later and PRs. And then a few months later, he sets an American record, right? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, so, so yeah, um, I think it was kind of cool to see that. I think it's kind of cool to see that. Another thing that stood out to me, and this might have just stood out to me because a friend of mine reached out to me about this this week, and, and I was thinking about it in light of the conversation we had with Sadie. And I don't know if you all did this, but like I found myself thinking a lot about the conversation with Sadie alongside the conversation we had with, with Shane, right? Um, and it's mostly because they're both 800-meter people, um, and they're roughly about the same age, right? Um uh, and the cool. interviews were within a couple of weeks of one another. Exactly. Yeah. Club, exactly. Track club athletes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like all of these parallels, you're bound to sort of look at them side by side. And so, so, so I certainly did. Um, and as much as I enjoyed talking to Corey, and, uh, and as cool as I thought Corey was a counterpoint to, to Sadie, um, like it was just sort of a different means of comparison. But anyway, the point is one thing that really stood out to both of them about, uh, about both of them to me was that neither one of them really specialized in running when they were little. Do you know what I mean? They yeah. both kind of did other things and enjoyed themselves and developed as athletes more generally um, and then began focusing on running later on. I mean, you know, we heard, of course, about Sadie talking about the coin flip. I mean, she was a, a volleyball player literally until that coin flip right before she went into ninth grade. And that's when she dedicated herself to running. Um, he certainly followed a more serious running path um, but I mean, he was still doing like the triple jump and the high jump and stuff, you know? So even though he was on the track and field team, he wasn't doing like all this super hard, intense distance training from the time he was in fifth grade forward. Do you know what I mean? Um, and so both of them, I felt like developed themselves in their, in their childhood, um, as sort of general athletes before they began focusing more on, on, uh, running specifically. And I think that that's, I think that's key to success. I think that's the reason why both of them did better in college than they did in high school and they're doing better as pros than they did in college, you know, I think that's pretty cool. Um, I think that's pretty cool. What do y'all think about that? I think the key to what you said, 
you both said it. I think you guys both used the term grounded. Mm-hmm. He, I don't know. I don't know what got him to that point. You did ask a question at one point about uh, what college did he go to? What was the first university? Minnesota. Minnesota. But then he transitioned to Lipscomb. Mm-hmm. Lipscomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he transferred to Lipscomb. And you asked him if it had anything to do with his faith. Mm-hmm. And then once you asked him that question, he wove that back in a couple times through the rest of the conversation. And I wonder if he just has a a uh, tremendous amount of groundedness to him because of the way he makes decisions. Like, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It seemed like the way he makes decisions and his success is all based in the fact that he's grounded in some, some core beliefs that he sticks to. Mm-hmm. And, and he allows those to help drive. It's not like, Oh, I need to go wherever the best coach is. Mm-hmm. I need to go where the first opportunity that's going to maximize my ability to run is. He, he's making grander decisions or he's making his decisions based on grander goals and it's working out for him. And you think that's linked to his faith? I, I think it is at the very least partially linked to his faith. Mm-hmm. He, that's a big piece of being grounded. And I think he is, I think he's seriously grounded in his faith and I think it bleeds over into his running. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's a lot easier to tap into that and have it be, you know, part of an anchor of your life when you go from a big state school where he was to a small private Christian university in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, so I would have to think that just, that was probably like the whole package coming yeah. together from him. And then he could take his experience of having been in that environment and try to find a way to mirror it, um, in choosing a professional team. Mm-hmm. You know, he made it pretty clear that his, kind of his A choice was to stay at Lipscomb with his coach and just see if he could lock on to a small apparel or shoe deal. But like he mentioned, and like we've seen more and more in years past, the way of professional running now, especially coming out of college is really in the group, uh, in the group sponsored programs mostly. So there was also, I mean, along those same lines, um, there was more to the Minnesota story than he told us. Um, and I don't know what it was and, and, and I'm reading between the lines here, but I felt like there might be more to Minnesota than what he said. Like he, 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 he definitely lost the money, right? Like, like he said, Minnesota had said, we're not going to pay for the six year, even though the NCAA is going to give you a six year to come back. We're not going to pay for that. And so he didn't want to pay for that. And I totally, I think that's legit. I mean, I understand I wouldn't want to pay for that either. Um, but, but I kind of got the sense that, that not that anything bad happened at Minnesota, but he was just tired of being in such a big space. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it felt like he wanted to be, he wanted to be in a smaller space where he felt more at home and more seen. Um, Do you see what I'm saying? Like, like I I feel, I feel like that was part of it to me. Didn't Minnesota go through a whole, they tried to drop men's track and field like in 2019 or 2020. And then they voted again. I mean, I think, it couldn't have been a great, you know, place to be a, a male runner during that time. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that story. And that, that, that may well be it too, but, but something, something about it to me felt like he, he felt like Minnesota, he was just sort of, he, he was just kind of lost or, or, or was just sort of slipping through the cracks a little bit. And, and then a big part of why he wanted to go to Lipscomb is because the coach reached out to him and knew him and talked to him. And he felt like he could be at home there and appreciated and seen. And then that was a big part of him coming to the Atlanta track club as well, which I think is super important. I get that. Yeah, 
I found an article, Minnesota basically chose to save men's track and field and gave up gymnastics uh, and tennis. So it had to be a pretty difficult time to, you know, to be a track and field runner there uh, on scholarship. And you want a six year to be paid for and the school doesn't even want the program and all of that stuff. So he probably got out at the right time. Yeah. What's the mullet thing? I mean, I think that he could easily be confused with Craig Ingalls with his muscle. I, I think that's true, but 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 you you kind of mentioned that, and and if well, you look at the pictures he... of them side by side, but then he said something about how he's been trying to grow out his mullet, and he was bummed out that the barber cut it off, and I, I was mean, like, wait, we're trying to grow mullets now? No, I think he had one, and you know they go to Tallahassee for like a winter training camp. I think they're there mostly January and February just to. Avoid. No, but, but why are mullets desirable? This is what I'm missing. George, it's like 2022. Where's your mullet? It's 2022, not 1987. <laughs> That's my mullet. 1987. I left my mullet in middle school. <laughs> but everything George, from my you... middle school, every bell bottom jeans. Come on, middle school is Vans. Cool. Vans, yes. Oh, Vans, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, true. I, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you on that. But, it, but it was just funny. We said something about the mullet, and then he, he started talking about it as if it was, oh yeah, this positive thing, my mullet. And I was like, wait, I thought we were making fun of him about that. <laughs> party up front, business in the back. What is it? Business up front, party in the back. I that's it. Back. That's it. Yeah. Right on. Um, all right. Um, I do. Last thing I want to say about him is, is just wondering about his future event. I thought it was interesting that, that he seems to be a more distance oriented 800 meter runner, you know, like he runs the mile, he just set the American record in the thousand stuff like that. Right. I wonder whether his future, even his near future is in the 5,000 meters. What you're skipping the 15 altogether. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, and, 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 and I'm thinking about it in light of how fast Grant Fisher, who was a sub four miler in high school, how fast he's now running at age, what, 23 um, in the 5,000 and the 10,000 meters. I'm thinking about how, and, and the one 5,000 meter race that is stuck in my head more than any other 5,000 meter race I've ever watched is the 1996 Atlanta Olympics 5,000 meter race. Um, and they went out and were running just like clockwork, 64 second laps, 64, 64, 64, 64, 64. And then the last few laps, they wound it down just a little bit. And then the winner ran the last two laps in 60 and then 53. So on the tail end of running 416 pace for two and a quarter miles, um, he ran another fast lap, then ran a 153. Like that's the kind of speed that you have to have in order to be successful um, at at middle or at five thousand meters and ten thousand meters. And I think Shane clearly has that kind of speed. And he also, like, he talks about how he likes running up and down hills on his distance runs and stuff. I don't know. He just seems to be he seems to be suited to to move up to the five k. Yes, but he also talked about how he mentally prepared for the one k as running an additional running an 800 meter and just pretending like he forgot a lap he said so, no he said that's no, what his coaches told him to do that's what and he did. his coaches told yeah him. yeah he said that's okay, what his coaches yeah. told him to do because because i joked about that and i was like i'm glad that worked for you and he said actually that's not what i did, did we just had a laugh about it yeah because <laughs> that's like 
that has to be a joke. Yeah, there's no way that's good, like mental preparation. Oh, just pretend that you forgot to got to count the laps. Yeah, of course not. I think um, based on- but, but no, I, but I think that, I think he, he could be potentially an excellent 5,000 meter runner. Um, particularly an excellent championship 5,000 meter runner, i.e. somebody who can not necessarily like a Mo Farah type, somebody who runs fast, but more than that is able to sustain a high pace and then kick really fast and outkick everybody, not sprint everybody. When that, and that, and that, that's the ability you have to have in order to be able to win championships. Like Mo Farah has never held a world record, has never really even been close to a world record. Right. But 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 he's one of the greatest Olympians of all time and world champions of all time in the 5,000, 10,000 meters because he can run fast and then kick blazingly. I think Shane Strike could be that. Poor guy. I think Shane just wants to run a few laps around the track. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, but I, I but I but I do just kind of wonder. I wonder. We'll see. We'll see. Um, all right. We're talking about the 10 by 5K. Eric, you put on yes, the hat. Man. I see just in time. I did put on the hat. I don't um, have to remind you that. <laughs> I want to know, George, did you bring 17 pairs of shoes? I brought seven and I wore, four, I, I merely wore four. Um, my, my shoes ended up being a little bit of a surprise. Like, like the shoe situation did not unfold the way I foresaw it unfolding. I was a little bit by surprise. Neither did the weather. And the weather so, would have determined a totally different approach to shoes. You're right. You're right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and so first one, of course, remember the 10 by 5k, we've talked about it several times. So basically what it involves, and I, I feel like I've explained this a lot over the course of the past couple of weeks, <laughs> like to my parents, friends and whoever else, you know, I was literally like at, at church dinner with my parents right before this explaining it to somebody, but you start a 5k at seven o'clock in the morning. Then you start another 5k at eight o'clock in the morning. And you continue doing that until four o'clock in the afternoon, such that you have then started 10 5ks. Um, at the top of every hour, you're starting a 5k. If you run 20 minutes for the 5k, you get 40 minutes before the next one starts. If you run 30 minutes, you get 30 minutes of rest. Um, you can run them at whatever speed you want to run them, but you have to start one at the top of every single hour. And then ultimately the places in the race, the winners of the race are determined by your cumulative 50k time there um and um weather tell us about the weather Eric. <laughs> well well first your your whole intro is predicated on the fact that noah actually measures the race course correctly and the first <laughs> lap is in 3.6 miles yeah the first lap was was <laughs> way long yeah the first lap on my watch said 3.7 miles um we, we we came across the finish line the first one and he looked at me and says what did your watch say just knowing what the times were and how, how they were three to four minutes slower than they were supposed to be. I said, it says 3.7. He goes, Oh yeah, we got to change that. And they, they cut off big sections of the course for numbers two through nine. So yeah, we didn't run. We ran more like what? 30, like 51 K. <laughs> yeah. in, in total ended up being like 51 K. So yeah. it was, it was yeah. interesting, but your, your question was about the weather, mm -hmm. uh, the weather, looked as though we might get some some rain and it's a it's all off-road and it has some pretty can be some pretty soupy sections so we had all prepared by bringing shoes except for lee who doesn't have off-road shoes uh, <laughs> by bringing shoes that we could run off-road in and um but the weather didn't play out like that the we had a it was it was what like kind of muggy in the morning maybe it, it, did, it did actually rain it was sort of yeah. drizzly for the first two yeah the, and then it started to drizzle a little bit but then the weather just got flat out i would just say weird uh mm -hmm. the the rain cell that was coming up sort of split around us amazingly yeah. so we, we didn't get much rain 
the sun came out mm -hmm. and then the temperature dropped about 15 or 20 degrees yeah. over the course of the rest of the race. Yeah. And that was a big part of what made me absolutely miserable, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, had, I had not prepared for that. And as my race started to unravel, my body said, you are very cold and we, we can't help you. The, yeah. My body said, I cannot help you warm up anymore. But yeah, the weather wasn't what we expected, um, but it, it was actually, I, I mean, it wasn't bad weather at all for the race. I, it wasn't bad. It was windy. We were basically at the front of the front of a cold front moving in. And so there right. was rain at the front of it. And then, and then it was windy literally as it blew in. Um, and then, like you said, the temperature dropped about 20 degrees over the course of that day during the day. So right. as it got clearer and nicer looking outside, the temperature got lower and lower and lower, such that by the time I was going out to do warmups, because my routine was to go and jog for about three or four minutes at eight minutes to the hour um, is when I would do it. Um, and by the time I got to, to doing that, I was, I was doing it uh, the last few in a jacket. Um, I was actually warming up in a jacket. Um, yeah. And then when the race ended, you and I and everybody else in our crew uh, put on like every piece of clothing we had. Right. <laughs> um, I did. I, th I think I put on four layers. Um, there were several people, Kat Gerd, um, an athlete that I've coached who was there, who's from Atlanta, uh, also a Georgia Tech alumnus. Um, she, she actually changed clothes for the last one and put on long sleeves and long pants for the yep. last one. And several other people did as well. So yeah, it was weird the way it was getting more beautiful yet colder throughout the course of right. the day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I wore an old pair of BV-8 nitros for the first two. I wore a newer pair of BV-8 nitros for the next two. I wore a pair, my Adidas uh, Speed Terex, no, Terex Speed Ultras, Speed there it is. The ATSUs, the Atlanta State <laughs> Universities um, for, for the fourth one. And then I decided just for fun to try out my endorphin speeds in the fifth one. And they actually worked really well. They were not great on the grass. Um, there was sort of a grassy section in the first three or four minutes. Um, but once we kind of got out onto those fire roads, they worked pretty well. And at that point, it started drying up a little bit more. Um, and then I alternate deviate nitros for number six, endorphin speeds for number seven, deviate nitros for number eight. And then I finished number nine and number 10 wearing the endorphin speeds. So they ended up being my go-to shoes. I was kind of surprised by that. Um, so, George, how did you do overall? I won, man. <laughs> which which i was psyched about there was there was uh one other guy that was running fairly close to me i was i was in front of him a few seconds in front of him and pretty much every single one of them and then the eighth one um i ran not it was, was my slowest one and i was like oh boy these last two are going to be a drag um it's going to be tough and he probably was you know 10 seconds behind me on that one just like he was on all the rest of them um and then the ninth one um we get three minutes into the ninth when we're leaving the little grassy space. And I kind of had this realization. I was like, I actually feel pretty good. Um, and, and I kind of picked up the pace and I ended up running the ninth one. It was my fastest one of the day by a lot. It was the fastest one I've run in the two times that we've done this event. Um, and I put a minute and a half on the guy who had been running fairly close to me. Um, and then the 10th one was, was fairly similar. It was a little bit slower than the, the ninth one was. Um, but I was still about a minute and a half in front of the guy who ended up finishing second. So, so I was, I was pretty psyched with the way that that unfolded. Um, I felt pretty badass there at the finish, <laughs> um, but it's a fun race to win. And they, they, they give you, uh, 
the Peyton, um, who is the honoree of the race, um, uh, loved Lego back in the day. And so uh, they, uh, they give Lego to the, uh, to the winners. Um, and and um, like my friend, Brian, who finished third, our friend, Brian, who's on the Blue Ridge Relay team, who I'm going to bring on the podcast in a couple of weeks here. He doesn't know that, but um, he, uh, he finished third. And so he gave me his Lego because his daughters don't play with Lego. And then I got some extra Lego too, because the 10 o'clock 5k is an open 5k and I actually placed in the open 5k. And so I got some more Lego for that. So I came home with six Lego sets, which uh, is a really good early birthday present for my sons. So, you know, you, you totally left out the second place female finisher who happened to give you her Lego award too. She did Who's indeed. That, that would be Grace Hall, who That's took right. home. Who, who is this? The third time she's finished second. Uh, I think she finished fourth last year. Okay, and then she finished third the year before. Okay, and then this was second. Okay. Is it the same woman who wins? No, the 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 lady who won this year was a different lady, uh, but she did finish before Grace last year also. And then the two ladies that finished before Grace the first year, um, one of them finished right behind Grace, and I can't remember where the other one was. Um, and what shoes was Grace wearing? Grace was wearing for the entire race the Adidas <laughs> Terex Speed Ultra. Yes, Woo! Yes, you was. <laughs> so I did want to point that out. And and I, I also want to point out, Grace and I have a significant number of miles in those shoes. Um, counting Peyton's, I have run, if, if you count each one of those as a race, because technically they are, mm -hmm. uh, I have run eight, nine, I've run 10 races in that shoe, and I have yet to have it come untied once. So I believe this is operator error on y'all's part. <laughs> <laughs> it's a technical term and i do think i need to do a youtube video for both of you on how to tie your shoes evidently and grace grace as well i don't believe grace has ever had her shoes come untied either i'm going to verify that with her after this but i, I did want to say that she she ran the mountain race that melissa grace and i ran the, the week before the 30k um but she did what I did not do, which was very smart. She took it easy. And, and I just want to- In the race? Out, in the mountain race. I just wanted to point out that her preparation, her attitude going into this race, her pacing, you look at her pacing, just mile per mile pacing for each leg, 808, 812, 8.05, 8.13, 8.03, 8.19, 8.18, 8.30, 8.25. Yeah, she, she just, absolutely nailed it mm -hmm. and if you look at her previous races there's been much more fluctuation uh, she's had you know gastrointestinal issues or like just <laughs> she fell and sprained her <laughs> wrist in the first one I, I was just so impressed with the maturity that she approached this and how she executed it and um yeah, I thought it was it was awesome. It was a seriously proud dad moment, I would right. say. That's, that's cool. what I would say at the end of the race. And the result was she got some Legos that ended up going to the fellas. So. <laughs>
um, and I'm pretty sure they've actually built those already. I can't remember yeah. which one specifically came from her, but they've built just about all of them at this point. Yeah. So, so yeah. Now, a quick side note to this is, you know, Grace and I, Grace had to go back to college on Monday and the race is on Saturday. So we wanted to get home that night. So mm. everybody's, everybody's looking at me because my race did not go as well as Grace's did. And we can get to that in a second, mm. but it was Eric, aren't, doesn't Grace have her license? Yes. Grace has her license why don't you let grace drive home because you are just not looking really good and this was predicated by the fact that i finished the race in the fetal position for about 15 minutes luckily only 15 and not 16 because george ran to get his phone to take a picture of this <laughs> because i don't know who failed to tell me that you were completely laid out for like 14 minutes like you had been laying on the ground for a long time before anybody told me no, and, and, and if Grace I have one regret there. from that entire weekend, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. Grace was sitting there going, are you sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Well, let's get up and move. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. And it's freezing. It's freezing. I'm, I'm really comfortable right now. But anyway, so everybody kept saying, hey, you should really let Grace drive home. And I'm like, eh, you know, no, I don't think so. And what was the text message I sent you guys like, I don't know, 15 minutes after Grace and I had dinner in the car? Grace was asleep. She slept mm -hmm. <laughs> all the way to the next gas stop, yeah, right. and then she went right back to sleeping. Grace did it the way you're supposed to do it. She, she put out her exactly. energy during the race. She didn't collapse during the race. She she nope. fell asleep in the car when she had the opportunity yeah. to do it. Yeah, so she killed it. Yeah. I was just so proud of her. And this, it, you know, it, this it sounds right. weird to say that somebody who has completed a 100 miler is is becoming a mature racer. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. I feel kind of silly almost even saying that, but that's kind of what you're describing. You know. And I well, think that's and it's, cool. It's been a huge progression because we make jokes all the time when we're running together about, you remember when three miles was a long way? Mm. You remember when seven miles was a long run? You know, we always joke about that. And what I really like to talk to her about now is, you remember the first time we ran the 10 by 5K and I had to run the entire thing with you and you completely like, you know, broke down three or four times and, and it was a struggle to finish. Like, look at what you did today. Mm. And what I'm really excited about is, you know, her next big thing is the Keys 100. And it's a dad's not even running the race. Mm -hmm. Mom's not running the race. We're, we're support crew only. And this is her big thing. You know, she's going to go out and run this unsupported race. It's just, you know, it's the race doesn't support you. Mm -hmm. um, it's flat, but I have a feeling it's going to be windy and hot. And, uh, it's pretty all, and it's all on pavement. Yeah, but if you look at the progression, this is the next step for her. She's ready for this, uh, and she's proven it with the maturity that she, you know, as a, approaches her running with. And I'll, I'll throw this on the side. I don't even coach her anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, she runs her own coaching plan. She fits it into her schedule at school. I mean, she's doing. She really is doing this all on her own. She'll ask for advice. I'll drop her a few nuggets every once in a while, or say, "Hey, you should throw some speed in here or there." But she's doing this all on her own, and I'm just. I'm floored. I'm absolutely floored. Cool. All right. Last word from you on this, Eric, needs to be about your race. I can sum it up. Uh, I felt way better than I thought I would after the 30K. I did really well on my pacing, almost within 10 seconds of each lap up until the seventh lap, I think. And then the wheels just absolutely came off. Um, I... Yeah, everything everything fell apart. Uh, lost my ability to stay warm. My quads just blew up. I tried to recover from that by putting on my new uh, Ultra Mont blocks, 
we need to talk about those later. I don't think I'm gonna ever wear those again. Um, <laughs> not because of the poor experience there, because they weren't what I would hope hope they would be. But maybe we'll talk more about that later. Uh, put my Adidas Terex Speed Ultras back on for the the last ones. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the race. I would never say that. But what I didn't enjoy, George, and this is really you know, going back to your ninth lap, <laughs> the way the out and back nature of this course works is it doesn't matter how far ahead of you, is, George, is you still get to see him. Mm-hmm. On my ninth lap, even though the out and back is almost a full mile, I did not see George. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. And, and on the 10th lap, I did, obviously didn't see him later. That was even worse. But I think it, you know, this all goes back to I have not been coaching myself very well. I, I need to figure that out. And mm-hmm. this was just a it was a stark reminder of how important that is. So mm-hmm. very cool. Very cool. Well, we will get like a bonus race with all of these friends and with this group of people and, and the tobacco road relay on, on April 30th. And yes, I'm already looking forward to that. And I know that you are as well. Um, Michelle, are you still gonna sign up for Peyton's wild and wacky 10 by 5k next year? I can't do it because it's going to be like the week after the Tokyo Marathon. So I think you're going to need to do it. I think we, we need to have two thirds of podcast representation there. I'm probably not going to be able to talk Patrick Ollinger into doing it. I don't have plans to bring on any other hosts. Maybe Justin Dugan would do it, but uh, I don't know, Michelle. <laughs> I would love well, Justin to Dugan would definitely come on the podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> I um, would love to see Michelle and Grace duke it out at Peyton's 10 by 5k. Can we get through January 1st next year? And then we can talk about March next year. Fair, fair. But (laughs) you will need to sign up in September though, because it does sell out. Well, okay. I need to figure out shoes for January before I sign up for this in September. Fair, fair. Okay. So what you're saying is that you need me to sign you up in September. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. And on that note, let's call it a night. Uh, Michelle, thanks for being here. Night guys. Eric, always a pleasure. Love it, George. Thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, or on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, so share us with your friends. Don't forget that we're sponsored by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter, at itlcoaching, on Facebook, at facebook.com slash itlcoachingperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. We're also sponsored by Blue Pineapple Travel, bluepineappletravel.com, facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, and on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, don't forget we're sponsored by SlayRx. That's slayrx.com. Facebook.com slash here for SlayRx. That's the number four, SlayRx. Twitter at official SlayRx. And Instagram, here for SlayRx. The number four, SlayRx. Discount code PLEASANT22. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.